Hi, everyone. Welcome to Ask the Horse Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, Digital Managing Editor of The Horse. Tonight, we're talking about managing the aging equine athlete, and the event is brought to you for free tonight by Cosequin. Sometimes it seems like just about the time you get your horse really good at his job, he starts getting old and a little bit tired, a little bit sore, um, a little bit slow. And anyone who has an older athlete, and I'm one of these owners, would do just about anything to keep their horses going in top competitive form. So tonight, we have the help of Dr. Rashmer Raven and Dr. Aaron, Dr. Ann Rashmer Raven and Dr. Aaron Denny Jones. Welcome to both of you doctors. Thanks for having us, Michelle. Um, so let's start with you, Dr. Rashmere. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your experience and interest in helping keeping uh, the teenage and older athlete going? Love to. Well, look, I've actually had a long-standing interest in this. Um, really, the horse that really taught me how to ride way back, way back when, <laughs> was an older horse, and I think that really was very meaningful because the horse knew everything it was teaching me, and what a lovely way to learn. And that kind of interest has carried through my 30-something year career now, where um, I, you know they tend to be puzzles. You know they can be fabulous performing animals, and something knocks them off, or they just you know the, the straw that broke the camel's back sort of things. Just they're kind of maintaining themselves with some issues, but just something happens to kind of push them over the edge. And so sometimes they're just the most fascinating puzzles if you look at them that way. But by the same token, they tend to be just wonderful animals to to work with and work um, on because. Uh, look, you know, they've been around the block, um, you can learn a lot from them, and they really can teach you as, as veterinarians some things. And, um, you know, for the most part, the ones that hang on and persist at the upper levels, those are pretty tough horses. And so um, they're very tolerant of some of the things that we do. And, um, you know, it's just such a, um, I don't know, it's like a thrill to actually get them back and going. And, uh, you know, people tend to be very appreciative for, for, for that because they're very attached to these guys sometimes. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do at your university? You're a, a, a certified or a board certified surgeon, um, right? Right. I'm board certified in surgery. Uh, I'd say most of my my caseload would be um, performance horse lameness. We do some backyard horses as well, um, and do some surgery. Clearly, uh, I actually do a fair amount of skin disease also. So that's another time I see these guys because of as they age, they're more likely to get tumors and and other issues with their skin. So but um, the nuts and bolts of it is just keeping really any age performance horse going, and that's what I spend most of my time with. Okay. And Dr. Jones, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with equine athletes that are older than some of the others? Yes, I'd love to. I'd have to say that majority of my practice is exactly that. I wouldn't say I have only geriatrics in my practice, uh, but I do have a lot of older campaigning horses that have been around the block already, and they're safe for the amateurs to ride. So I deal more with the amateur riders than I do with the professionals. I do have a few professional riders, um, barns and such, but a good chunk of our practice is the amateur owner and those horses that have already been through the jumps, the movements, the runs, whatever they need to do, and are safe for these uh, older um, or just young kids getting into it to ride is uh, very opportunistic for my clientele. And so this is a 
subject that's dear to my heart. Uh, I too grew up with an older horse that taught me a lot all the way up through vet school and unfortunately lost him in my senior year of vet school um, at mm. age 28. So I was very wow. pleased yeah. to have an aged horse to teach me so much um, through his life and uh, I, I just feel it's definitely our way to give back to them. And it's funny because 28 seems old, but right now we've got 28-year-olds that are performing and out there right. doing the sports. And I think 30 is now the ones I go wow to, and the 28-year-olds I go, yeah, they're still doing it. That's great. Yeah. And I have to say, I have, oh, I have a, <laughs> Sorry, I have a 13-year-old that I just bought his first uh, bag of senior feed for. So, and we're going to definitely get to, to talking about senior horse nutrition, but um, it, it's a, a broad span of ages that that we're dealing with from these early teens to, to their 30s. But Dr. Rashmore, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? Well, I think Dr. Denny's quite right. It's like 30 is like the new 20. You know, um, you know before we used to think... Um, like a 20-year-old horse was really, really old, and now, wow, a 30-year-old horse is really, really old. And 20, you know, there's a lot of 20-year-old horses that don't seem so old anymore. You know, I think yeah. better care, you know, throughout their lifetimes, um, you know, better understanding of how horses age and what to do to avoid, you know, early premature aging in them. I think that has really helped. So I think the population has aged gracefully for the most part. So I want to give our audience a quick review before we jump into these questions of our Ask the Horse live format. We're going to be starting with the questions that everyone submitted uh, when they were registering for the event. If you have questions you'd like to ask live, you can go ahead and do that in the console uh, in front of you. you. Also feel free to ask for clarification uh, on any of the doctor's answers as we go along. Uh, we're going to do our best to get to as many of your questions as possible tonight, and we have some really good ones, so we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, and with that, Dr. Rashmary, you, you, we've already talked a little bit about horse's age, but at what age do we consider a horse a senior horse? You know, I think there is a little bit of controversy about this, but in my mind, it depends a little bit on how big the horse is, a little bit on the breed and what its use has been. But, you know, 13 to 15, I think, is kind of a standard um, sort of beginning of being a senior. Um, certainly by 18, I think most people consider them senior horses. Um, Dr. Jones, our next question is from Rebecca in Indiana, and she wants to know how important is it to have an equine dentist or your veterinarian examine and float your horse's teeth. She has a 16-year-old and a 20-year-old. Should that be done every year? I think it's mandatory. It's in the best interest of your horse to take care of its teeth every year, especially at those ages. I tell people when they become teenagers, 13 on, you really need to do an annual evaluation, thorough evaluation of the mouth and start equilibrating them regularly. That means every year, or a little less, or just maybe a couple months more, but year is the average. Not every two or every three or when they start to drop feed, it's every year. And the reason for that is there are some dental issues that we are now able to avoid by early examination and keeping them equilibrated. When they go out of equilibration, meaning they have wave mouth and hooks, that's when you tend to start having some problems with their teeth, thus it goes into weight loss and it goes into lack of energy due to nutrition not being consumed and used as it should. So it's annual and it's a must. It's part of your vaccine program. Just make it, put it in your mind, just like you do the farrier feet every five to six weeks. You need to take care of the teeth every year. 
And Dr. Jones, you, we think of old horses and their teeth problems and them having maybe weight issues or not being able to chew as well, but do you in your practice see performance issues that these older horses have that are possibly related to dental issues? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, just to the simple, they start tossing their head. You can't have some of the horses in a Western Pleasure even or in your dressage test or even going around the jumps, tossing their head consistently and losing really control or that contact. And Dr. Jones, our next question is from Chris in Mississippi. And Chris wants to know if older horses that are performing really need senior feeds. Can you talk to us a little bit about what senior feed means? Yeah, the senior feed was developed um, years ago. It was developed, unfortunately, after my 20-year-old passed, and I really wish it was around for him because he didn't really look the best um, as he passed. Uh, but the senior feed is made for easier digestion. So for those that are having problems with digestion, and digestion, again, starts with mastication, which is chewing, and it starts with good teeth. So if they're having problems because they have poor teeth, poor dentition, or they're having some problems with absorption because they're not gaining weight yet their teeth are done and you've done everything else, your parasite program is good and all that, then the senior feed is meant for them to help them absorb the food in a better consistency because it's pre-cooked, it's, it's allowed to crumble easier into the digestive tract and be absorbed easier. That's my simple way of describing it to the clientele. Now, if you do have one of these easy keeper 20-somethings-year-olds, you may not need to be feeding a senior feed unless you're putting them through some heavy work, and that would be, you know, four to five day training a week and showing regularly. So do they need the senior feed? Yes, at, at senior age, it's easier for them to digest. It just depends on the horse's activity. If they are a pasture ornament, you're a weekend warrior that every once a month you're going on a trail ride, you may or may not need that senior feed. You may just need a, a, some sort of uh, equalizer to your pasture, but that's a whole other topic of nutrition. Okay. Uh, Dr. Rashmere, our next question is also nutrition related, and it's from Denise in Wisconsin, and she wants to know if joint supplements are warranted for senior horses. So this is something that we horse owners spend a lot of time thinking about and agonizing over. So what <laughs> what, should, what should we be looking for? At what age do our horses need joint supplements and what should we be looking for in those joint supplements to make sure that, that they're working? Great question there. You know, honestly, I would actually say that some horses, regardless of age, are better off with some joint supplements. Um, and supplements in general. And so, you know, the question then becomes which horses exactly, and certainly ones that may be having some hard work or, or um, lameness issues already, regardless of age. And we know that as horses age, they have more and more um, problems with, with osteoarthritis. And so things that we can do for these horses to minimize inflammation um, so that we don't have to keep them on nonsteroidals like phenobutazone and banamine and azurcoxib. And, and that's really kind of the target, things we can do to keep the horse comfortable without doing things that are damaging to the horse. And so, um, you know, th those are, tend to come in some big classes, and one of those is certainly the, the Cosquin that's made by um, Nutrimax that, that has sponsored this. And, and there's a product that's basically chondroitin and the chondroitin and um, glucosamine supplement. And then we generally also, when we, um, when we um, have put clients on, we actually use the Cosquin ASU for the most part. ASU, again, another good anti-inflammatory the horse. And so um, we, you know, there's been lots of studies on these drugs, and we know that um, the quality products, like the Cosequin ASU, 
um, have stood the test of time because they've been analyzed by outside labs. They actually have what they say they're going to have in it and what's on the label, and um, they actually have it in the right amounts. And so certainly, um, you know, it, it's not a matter of the most expensive, it's not a matter of, the, of getting a good deal, it's a matter of feeding something that you really intend to feed and feeding it in the right concentration. And so I think that um, actually can help a lot of horses. Now, um, it's not going to help every horse, but I think that's a reasonable way to start uh, supplementing for um, joints. Okay, I also think that we could get a lot from some of the mega fatty acids in horses. Uh, most commonly in the horse, we use flax. Uh, there's been decades of um, work to show that flax is a good anti-inflammatory for horses, but <clears throat> it should be either freshly ground or you know stabilized and then dated so that we know that we're giving it a time optimum for um, the anti-inflammatory properties. Kind of an interesting thing that came out here recently in a nice um, manuscript on resveratrol, um, which is an interesting study. It looks like it was well done and looks like um, that's going to be something that's becoming going to become more and more um, of interest for supplementing some of these senior horses and, and other horses as well. And then I'm sure Dr. Denny probably has some other thoughts about different supplements that may be useful. I 100% agree with you, Dr. Ashmere. The um, I saw that article about the Zervatol, and I was pretty excited about reading that and then look forward to what's coming out with that, as well as not every horse really does need that joint supplement. It depends on how much use they've had and what they've done and what they're continuing to do. So some some of these older horses are had done tremendous things at a younger age, and they're still doing very good things for their age at a lower level, and they may not need all that extra joint supplement. So I agree. Right. And I'm, I'm a big fan of the um, ASU products because those have been looked at at the orthopedic um, labs and have been justified that the ASU part of their products are um, a good supplement added to uh, right. the diet for joints. And it's really the only thing the place, only place you can get in that kind of concentration is the Coast One ASU. So it's kind of a yeah. you know double double bang for your buck. You know the other thing too that when we're talking about this and, and feeding supplements as they age and all, um, one of the things that does surprise me is how people really don't understand how important hay is. We spend a lot of money on supplements, but sometimes we don't really think about some of the basics. And gosh, you know, um, we need to actually also rethink just uh, making sure how these horses are fed with hay, because that's certainly the most important part of their diet, even older horses, unless you know we have got them on full pelleted feeds because of their teeth or whatever. But um, the other thing I think we got to do for, for, for the money, you get a lot out of just getting a hay analysis and making sure you've got enough protein for all the stages of the horse's life. And you know, for the horses that have um, the Cushing's sorts of diseases, um, making sure it's not too much you know, soluble carbohydrate and all. So anyway, I had to throw that in, sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's great because I'm going to add to that that I agree. That's where I find the biggest lack of education is in the haze. And I've had a gentleman locally give a talk here and there on haze and the hay products that was very knowledgeable in the haze, which did seem to help out my clients. But living here in Florida, we get our wonderful coastal hay that has absolutely um, little dietary nutrient fact to it. It's like eating iceberg lettuce for the humans. And <laughs> yeah. They really, Sometimes. They can't Sometimes pay it's the true. Way. They just see themselves filled. On it, yeah. and then again, you're talking about those with the poor dentition on the the full feeds. I I have a I have a 30 year old pony here that has no dentition, and and I pretty much say no dentition. She quids her food. We have quids all over the pasture, and that keeps her happy to be able to go out there and chew her grass and quid it back out. Um, she just swallows very little of it. But I still do instead of the pellets or the grain. She does do the senior diet, of course. I still do um, a soaked um, cube 
because I think that the roughage part is definitely necessary for the hindgut to work and to do its proper job. And I think she's kept going here for at least the last five years of quitting um, because I give her that roughage. So, you know, we've talked about the, the uh, oral supplements, um, but we have a question from our live audience from Gretchen, and she wants to know about injectables such as Pentasan or Adequan um, for treating or preventing or managing arthritis. Dr. Rashmere, do you want to jump in on that one? Right. Um, actually, I did some of the original research on Adequan, so I have a strong feeling about them. But I, I will tell you both, um, they're very similar drugs, and in many ways they're both... Um, um, inhibitors of certain proteases, so they get the collagenases and um, you know the things that are really important to joint health and, and other things as well. But um, one thing I will say, look, if if you're going to use them, you're going to go into expense of using them. I would use them appropriately. One of the things that I see a lot of um, uh, clients doing um, is just the once a month shot of say Adequan or or you know once a month shot of Penicillin or something. Look, you know, those drugs are actually um, meant to be used a certain way, and it's, you know, the series. And so you'll actually probably spend less money in the long run if you actually give the series as it's intended. And sometimes I, and bigger horses and horses that are really um, performing in just very strenuous, um, strenuous levels, sometimes I give both, um, the penicillin and the adequan. You have to be a little careful when you do double up like that um, with, with bleeding. But um, there are... Um, you know, ways to use them appropriately. And the once a month, there's really no research to show that that's actually effective. So I would actually give it in a concentrated way. And then um, as the horse needs it, give another, you know, concentrated way, the series as it's intended. So, but yes, I, I think that I've actually made a lot of horses more comfortable um, with both of those, actually. I agree. Um, I'm a huge fan, again, of Adequan, as Dr. Rashmir is. And the um, appropriate dosing of it is every fourth day, five mils, or the company is saying possibly a little bit more because five mil was basically based on a thousand pound horse. thousand pound horse, so way back. Right. Yeah, <laughs> based on 1,200 right. and 1,400 pound uh, warm bloods. And so the five mils may need to be up to seven or eight mils. And, you know, so it should be dose dependent, but it should be once every fourth day for seven doses. And I have quite a few clients that maintain once a year on that Adequan and they don't do the once a month. And they actually save. They're only using seven vials or a, a multi-dose vial and that's a lot less than the once a month shot. And and we have done horse owner seminars and we've actually had the technical vet from Adequan who stressed that that's the only way it's been researched. The once a month is not. But she did say, if you really are going to do the once a month, don't pick a random date. Do it within <laughs> three or four days of the show so you get the best bang for your buck. Right. So right. let's be logical about the use of this drug. Right. Let's use it closer to the time that the horse actually needs it and do it appropriately. But the best thing is to use it as it is um, instructed, which is the every fourth day for seven shots. Well, I'm going down the checklist of all the things that my 15-year-old uh, Hanoverian gets. So he gets his oral supplements, he gets his uh, injectable, and our next question from our live audience is about joint injections. Um, Carrie said that a friend recently started her mare on an injectable joint treatment. Um, her horse is also a jumper, is several years older, her horse is older than, than Carrie's horse. Should she be using a product like this on her horse? And actually, now that I read that, I'm wondering if She's talking about Pentasan or Adequan, but let's go ahead and jump into joint injections, Dr. Rashmir. Uh, when are those called for? 
also um, look. I have a lot of clients that actually want me to, you know, tune their horse up and, and inject um, joints that they feel the horses had problems with in the past. And I don't have any problem doing that, but I also have had my joints injected. And honestly, um, I don't want them when I'm feeling great, right, <laughs> at the beginning of the season. So, look, in my mind, the timing would be a little bit different. Um, certainly, any horse that has got pain that has been localized to a joint and you know it's been radiographed you can tell what's wrong with the joint but those are horses i i think you're going to get the biggest bang for for your money um injecting those joints specifically um the maintenance thing just seems a little um to me a little timing wise like i said not not that um great um at the beginning of the season because that's when you know, clients really want it. hey we're going to go start showing hard let's let's do it I think that's the time where you might go with the intramusculars, um, the, like the Adequan, Penasan, um, that sort of thing, maybe even IVHA, which we haven't talked about yet. But for me, you know, when the horse starts, maybe, you know, the 10-meter the circles aren't as, as easy or the, you know, turn on the haunches or, or, you know, the spinning or whatever it is, the sliding stops, I think that might be the time to kind of do more of what you might consider to be a maintenance sort of thing. And then, you know, what do you use for maintenance? You know, we know that horses over 15, 30% of horses over 15 um, have the Cushing's disease, you know, Cushing kind of syndrome is what I would call it, but PPID or, or Cushing's disease. And, you know, those are horses that I have a very high respect for, <laughs> um, you know, the problems with steroids in those horses that potentially can cause. And I know there's been some studies showing both ways on that. Um, and so, you know, sometimes I'll go to um, drugs like, you know, that probably are, are our newest favorite thing here is going to be Prostride, which is, um, you know, not steroid. It's actually um, made from the horse's own, um, own platelets, in fact. And, you know, I think that's maybe a better way to go for some of these things. Now, there are a lot of horses that get their distal and tarsal joints, distal and tarsal and tarsal, sorry, um, distal and tarsal and uh, tarsal and tarsal joints, the so distal joints and the hocks injected regularly with steroids. Um, again, if I don't need to give it, my preference not to, I, I do for, for people that really think it makes a difference. And then again, like when a rider who um, is savvy enough to realize that the horse is just not turning as well or something and this helped last time, let's try that. Uh, no, I think those are those are times to probably um, concentrate on the joint injections. We just have to remember that joint injections are not without potential complications in the horse. And uh, the complications associated with them are potentially life-threatening. Septic arthritis is you know, it's still a possibility. As clean as you can be, it's still possible that you're going to get unlucky and get a, a horse um, joint infected. And that can be totally catastrophic. And so I'd certainly feel a lot better if that happened. And so it's not going to have been lucky, but if it happened, I would, I'd hate it to be over a horse that I, I didn't really feel like I needed to inject. Mm -hmm. So. I would chime in the same thing. I too have had my own joints injected and something that I wouldn't want to have done on a regular basis. I step into doing that when I'm starting to feel uncomfortable or when I notice a, a limp or something on my own. Why not do that with your own animal? And that's how I've always addressed it with my clients is I can put you on a maintenance thing. And I think the big reasons that the upper, like you said, the tight spinners and those that are um, doing pirouettes and the haunches and things like that, those horses are possibly in a maintenance program because those riders feel like they can't take one step backwards. They're, com they're campaigning so heavily and they cannot lose a point or a percentage or whatever. So they want to put them on a maintenance. So they're not taking the step backwards. But I believe that a lot of those horses will give you cues before you take that step backwards. And you can catch it in enough time to go ahead. I mean, if my amateur owners and their trainers can catch a horse that's starting to, have a little problem with 
changing leads or have a little problem walking out of the stall or whatever the reason, then let's start addressing it then and not wait until it gets so bad that they're bobbing their head. So um, I'll give this one to Dr. Rashmir to start out with. So after you do the joint injections, uh, how different should that horse feel? Um, should, should it be a significant, like, is it this ah uh, miracle or is it maybe just slightly better? Because I know, like, I've my parents have had joint injections for different things and they've said, oh, it's amazing how much better they feel afterwards. I've never had my horse tell me, wow, I just feel amazing feel after better. my horse got <laughs> injected. So, Gotcha. Well, look, um, you know, steroids are, steroids that we use in horses' hawks, they're still pretty darn um, rapid acting. Some people actually use the same drug that your your parents got, right? Um, but even then, you know, within the first few days, that horse should be feeling better. It's interesting. Um, if the horse feels better within, say the horse feels better for like three days, but then it doesn't feel better after that, um, you're probably in the wrong joint because that steroid's have basically gone systemic and you've got the systemic effects, which pretty much make almost anybody feel better if it has any sort of body pain. Um, but to actually have a, a good effect from steroids, it's actually pretty quick. Now, prostride, about two weeks for maximum effect. Um, you know, HA, hyaluronic acid, we generally, in humans, they get a series, right? It's once a week for three to five injections. And in horses, we generally tend to give it once. Um, and then the people that really like it, you know, they actually have come back and got it a little more frequently. I think they probably have a better effect. So it depends a little bit on, on what you're injecting. But um, and I'm guessing most of these people are talking, the people who have been asking are probably asking about steroids, and it should be actually pretty quick. Now, I give those horses a little time off. I usually give them two or three days off if I can. I don't stick them in a stall generally, but I, you know, with a little bit of turnout, but I try a little, you know, less horse exercise in them. Um, you know, so they might get hand walked or something, but we don't generally, you know, push them back unless, you know, there have been times where the horse is in the middle of a show and just needs a little relief. Um, so... But, you know, that also is a little problem with, with some of the testing rules. So we generally don't go to steroids with those horses either. So but anyway, so the point is that it should be fairly immediate and it should be sustained beyond that period of time if you've actually injected the right area. Okay. So you mentioned uh, PPID, and I just want to point out that our promo horse for this event uh, is our uh, brand manager's horse. So the horse's brand manager's horse, Chunder, is that horse jumping, and he... I think he's 18 or 19 now, and he is a PPID horse that's being managed and competed, um, and so he's pretty cute. If anyone's watching, or if anyone can see him right now on the computer <laughs> screen, he's adorable, um, and he was one of the inspirations for for doing this topic. Um, so let's talk a little bit about more about Cushing's and Dr. Jones. I know you deal with that quite a bit. We have a question from Renee in our live audience, and she wants to know what the best ways are for her to keep her horse with Cushing's as healthy as possible. Her gelding is 26 and doing well, um, and she'd like to keep him feeling good. He gets pergolide uh, and grass hay and la alfalfa, and he gets Cosequin ASU and senior vitamins to help support him. Um, he also gets a little daily exercise and pasture time. So it sounds like she's doing a lot of things right. Uh, Dr. Jones, what advice do you have for Renee? I think she's doing everything that she should do for him. And the only thing I could recommend is 
any sign she sees that he might be regressing in his disease, because this is a chronic disease. You're giving your pergolide, which is your percent, and it's not going to be the cure-all. It's not going to make this go away. It's still there. It's still present. Once you stop giving the medicine, it's going to come back. But I have had numerous Cushing's horses or PPID horses that will get worse over time, even on the drug, and the client's find that out because all of a sudden they start drinking more and peeing more again, or they start losing their top line and do a little muscle wasting over the gluteals, even though they're working them four and five days a week. Um, so things like that you need to really pay attention to. It sounds like this uh, owner is a very attentive owner to her horse, which is fantastic. Dietary changes of must, and it sounds like she's already doing that. So with your PPID horses, you still need to do a dietary change and help them out. But I would say that maybe retesting him would be an idea that she could add to her program at some point in time, uh, whether she feels it's just something she wants to do annually. It doesn't hurt. It's a blood test. It doesn't make um, you know a difference um, in the horse's lifestyle. She pulls that or has the vet pull that blood, um, or she can just wait till she starts seeing a change in the clinical signs. Like I said, the excess of peeing, excess drinking, maybe some muscle wasting, um, the funky hair growth. Some people notice that it slowed it down a little bit, but then all of a sudden it starts picking back up. Right. You know, the other thing, too, I think it's important, you know, funky hair growth is in 10% of those horses with PPID or Cushing's. It's mm -hmm. really in a small mm -hmm. percentage. Yeah. And so a That's lot of people That's why I mentioned it so last. <laughs> yes, exactly. So a lot of people think their horse doesn't have it because it doesn't have the funky hair growth. But in fact, most horses that have it don't. And so, you know, I just encourage people that, you know, have older horses because, you know, like I said, 30% of them um, will have it. It's worthwhile finding out before they get laminitis or some of the other signs that go with the disease. The other thing I will, I will say about um, the poster child for this um, talk is I would just applaud her exercise because we know exercise can partially reduce the age-related declines in not just cardiovascular health, but exercise capacity, the ability to use the muscle to repair, just lots of things that go along with aging. And, and joint health, yes. And joint health, absolutely. You know, that is a big thing for joint health. So turnout is important. And when you have a horse that's got Cushing's, um, we really worry about turnout because they might overeat grass, right? So that's where the grazing muzzle comes in. You know, they can get maybe a, a lot less grass with it. Um, it's definitely worthwhile keeping that horse, you know, stretching down to take bites of grass and stretching the neck, stretching the back, keeping them walking. Confinement is probably the worst thing you can do for aged horses. You know, the mm -hmm. horse gets stuck in a stall because he's gotten older and they're afraid of turning him out. Well, shoot, that's, that's the opposite of what we want. We want those muscles being used. We want the horse walking and stretching the whole time. Like little grandmas, they get up and, you know, do the um, morning, you know, sort of ritual of getting a little exercise and walking the dog, that sort of stuff. They tend to do a lot better than the ones that stand in front of the, or sorry, sit in front of the TV, you know, and, and don't do things. So the horse is no different. Absolutely. Well, and, uh, My mother is a candidate for that. She would walk them all. And her first lap on that mall was excruciatingly painful. But by the second and third lap, she felt better, and she could go on with her day. She does now have to both knees replaced. But initially, before that time came, walking the mall was the way she would do it. And that, that, seg that segues really well into our next question. Dr. Rashmer, uh, it's from our live audience. Uh, Jen has a reigning horse that's in her late teens. She's wondering if she should give her mare winters off from work as she gets older. Well, great. That's a great debate. Um, there's some thought that reason that some horses don't have longevity is because they don't get time off because of, let's face it, you could find a show every single day of the week almost all year long if you if you wanted to haul that far, right? Or at least every weekend all year long. 
And so, you know, if we're going down the road a lot with these older horses, um, that probably does take a little bit of toll. So some time off is probably good. But time off isn't time off standing. Time off is time off with maybe not going down the road, not having, the, you know, those sorts of stresses on the horse, um, with a little light exercise, pasture turnout, that sort of stuff. Look, I love that idea for the horse. But to just keep the horse in a like a small area, you know, round pen sort of thing, um, and think you're doing them a favor. I, I would say you're probably not. Um, but a break from the hard action, I think, is worthwhile. Um, and we have a question from Liz in our live audience. And Dr. Jones, I'm going to give this one to you. Uh, she wants to know if there are any special considerations that she should make when transporting her daughter's senior horse from shows or two shows and two lessons. Uh, what are some of the concerns and uh, prevention we can have with with these older horses, having them in the trailer and then also going to new locations on a regular basis. I don't. I wouldn't say that the answer I'm going to give you is going to be one because of it's a geriatric horse. It's going to be one for just every horse. Um, every horse has a personality that allows them to adjust or not adjust well to new environments. So it depends on that horse's personality. They might be one that loves to go on for trail, loves to go for trailer rides and go to new adventures and new events. And those horses are really easy to get along with other horses and other smells and things like that. Um, my my biggest pet peeve is when I have people come to my clinic here and show up and there is no shipping boots on those legs. Um, a l large horse in a small trailer, there's no pole protector on their head. I don't know how many times I've sutured up flayed poles or forelocks. Um, and then head bumper is worse. It's weight and gold. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to euthanize a horse because they, you know, flayed their legs so bad that it went down to the joint uh, on the lower limbs because there's not much protection there. It's skin over bones and joints and tendons. So, you know, a geriatric is just the same as a two-year-old is just the same as a 15-year-old. I don't care how many times they've been on a trailer and they're comfortable. Please protect their legs. Please protect their head. And um, what, if you want to do a tail wrap because you like the pretty long tail, that's your, that's your choice. But those are the primary areas that I want to see them controlled and taken care of. They did a wonderful study um, a few years ago, probably many years ago at this point that I'm going to age myself here, that spoke about um, horses placement in trailers in their most comfortable way. And ironically, and it's what I would love to do, show up at the big shows in my big stock trailer, cowboy stock trailer, with my horse not tied and loose because that's the way they like to ride. And they pick the way, the direction they want to stand. And most times, more times than not, they want to stand backwards. And they found the heart rate monitors on long distance travels that their heart actually went down. The heart rate was lower for most of the travel if they faced backwards. And so I'm sure people are cringing with this discussion I'm having right now, but that seems to be the best way with the horse, as well as, on top of all that, don't go through multiple stoplights. I have people who come to my clinic, and we have toll roads here, and they'll avoid the tolls on the multi-axles of their trailers and go down the roads with all the stoplights. And they have this horse whose heart rate's going up and down because every time they stop, the heart rate goes up. And every time they take off, the heart rate goes back up again. So, you know, it's a fluctuation of the horse, the stress on the horse to do the start, stop, start, stop. So, um, you know, I, those are my points. And that just affects every horse from young to old. Uh, the starting and stopping, yes, that would probably be easier on an older horse if you didn't have to do so many of them because they have to brace themselves and their joints are a little bit more achy than the younger ones. But in general, for cardiovascular reasons and stress reasons, it's better not to do the starts and stops for those reasons as well. What do you think about um, horses that are a little bit sore? I think some of those actually like to lean. I think there are some horses that 
um, might even prefer, particularly for the longer rides when they start to get fatigued, I think some of them actually like uh, to actually lean, lean against the walls or lean against the butt bar and that sort of stuff, um, which certainly in a stock trailer they're not going to be able to do. Do you ever find horses that um, you think actually trailer better when they are, um, you know, kind of paneled up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I see that some of those who are probably tired um, like to lean against something or, you know, might be a little lame, might like to lean against something to get some weight off of something that's a little painful, especially if they're coming back from a, a three-day weekend show. Oh. I um, had a friend at the barn who had a trailer that the horses were rear-facing in it but also confined, so it had padded panels um, so they could lean against it, and you loaded from front to back, and um, and I have to say, my horse looked at that like, you want me to do what? What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> right, something different. Yep, <laughs> I the love that about horses. Ever... What? What do you mean? Yeah, yeah the <laughs> only horse trailer I've ever seen like that, and so yeah, and I I wish I could ask him, was that a better ride backwards? Did you like that better <laughs> once you were in there or not? But he hasn't he hasn't told me one way or the other. But um, what about so... Matt, what do you guys think about Matt's for older horses in the trailer. Or bedding. Oh, I, I like them. I and also, that's the other thing. Yeah, that's the other thing is throw bedding down because they're either going to sweat in a warm environment and drip. Some of them profusely sweat, or you get them urinating in there and it comes slippery. All those things are uh, definitely a must. And you've got shaving center to collect up any of that wetness and and can, and keep it ammonia, dry. Ammonia, right? Yep. What yeah, about and the ammonia smell? Yeah. What do you do um, for horses? Do you, if you put shavings in there, do you actually put um, fly masks on them trying to keep the dust out of their eyes, or you just don't close the windows? Or what are your thoughts on that part? I know some people are well, really strong about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of them that are so closed up that it won't matter if they have a fly mask on or not because there's really not much air movement in there air. at all. <laughs> yeah, right. but the stock trailers, yeah, the fly masks I think are, are pertinent because of things flying from other cars and vehicles up, not necessarily as draw and the sawdust. It's more from other other things flying through the air from cars and such. Right. The other thing I think is worthwhile mentioning, too, is tying horses, you know, um, just be careful so the horse can actually get its head down and cough. You know, that's been shown yeah. to be really worthwhile for um, preventing horrible respiratory disease, poor pneumonias in horses. And then um, while we're at it, um, because I live in a cooler climate now, um, I'll have people pack horses in um, tied to a trailer, and they all have blankets on. And then by the time the horse gets horses get someplace a couple hours later and it, it's loaned out about it. It's really cold outside, but inside that trailer it's about an oven um, because of the body heat. And so, you know, sometimes it's actually better to um, take the blanket off and have the horse chilly for a few minutes than it is to have them just, you know, particularly if they're going to perform that day, um, you know, washed out with sweat um, for a couple hours on the way. So just some thoughts. Very good point, and I don't have to worry about that down here. <laughs> there you go. I know. What's a blanket, right? You got fly sheets down there. Oh no, no, no! I get clients. That, I get clients that have a blanket their horses with the long hair at 60 below 60 degrees down here. So, and you know, yeah. I just chuckle myself as I drive by. <laughs> so. Well, our uh, next question is for Dr. Rashmere, and it is from Shelley in. Um, Colorado, and she wants to know how important footing is in the arena to an older horse's longevity. Do you have any thoughts on what kind of footing we should be riding our horses on? Oh, well, you know, that's going to be, I think it's going to be very dependent on the weather, um, on what kind of barn you have. Certainly some of the footing that would be good in some areas um, <clears throat> would be very dusty and bad on the horse's respiratory system in other areas. You know, the closed barns or the barns where the stalls actually um, about up to the arena, those have got to just be, you know, it's just, you know, 
respiratory disease in horses, um, in older horses, you know, it's accumulation, right, um, over time. And so this is something that we probably need to take on an individual basis. But, you know, here's the thing about um, footing in general, right? And that is, uh, look, you can do a lot with footing um, by just keeping it worked well, you know, dragging it. Look, there's sand uh, footing areas that are appropriate as long as it's not too deep. There, I mean, you can do any com or a lot of combinations of things to get good footing. It doesn't always have to be Kentucky Horse Park sort of, you know, expensive footing. <laughs> but we wish it was. For your horse. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, we actually have it here. We actually have it here in, in our Landis area, and it's. I will tell you that it's lovely. Um, but um, you know, and horses do ride really well on it. No doubt about it. They're comfortable on it. But there's there are a lot of good footings. There absolutely are. Uh, not too deep is just as important as you know giving having enough give. And um, that, look, that footing in a horse arena is uh, where you ride probably is a, an hour long conversation in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Just my thoughts on it. Okay. Um. And you mentioned the horse's respiratory system. Um, this question is from our live audience. Um, Michelle is listening, and Dr. Jones, she has a 21-year-old hunter jumper that coughs at the beginning of each ride just a few times. Could this be her just clearing out her lungs, or is it an indication of something else going on? And I'm curious about the answer, because mine does this too. <laughs> well, anytime that becomes a consistent behavior, I always say it needs to be checked out. If it happens once or twice a year, it may just be uh, a random act. But that just if it's consistently every time you get up and ride or every week, you need to have that checked out. When you have a, a blatant cough, it could be many factors. It could be a simple mild allergy um, that we don't quite have worked out in horses yet, all the allergies that they do have, uh, to full-blown heaves. And the full-blown heaves, which now they have the new name, equine asthma, instead of heaves. So it's changed name numerous times from COPD to heaves to now equine Rio. asthma. Yeah. 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 So uh, that would be the, that would be the worst case scenario. And worst case, I mean, as in it's a chronic uh, problem that you'll have to deal with on a, a regular basis of keeping the horse comfortable. I'm going to quote Ed Robinson here, and that is, horses should not cough. And yeah. just like. Just like Dr. Danny said, look, you know, maybe they get something down their throat once or twice here or there over the year. Uh, okay, but yeah, regular horse should not cough at the beginning of a ride or any time during the ride. So I would think it'd be worthwhile her investigating before it got any worse. There are plenty of interesting ways to investigate those. You can start with your, your uh, veterinarian there and have them do a good full uh, evaluation, um, physical exam. They may pick up something with that. Then you can go as far to um, treadmill work if your horse is comfortable with that. Or now they have the endoscopes that can be placed inside the horse and they view it from um, afar while the horse is being ridden. So there's, there's a lot we can do now for these horses that have respiratory right. problems. Right. And, you know, the other thing, too, um, because the horse's chest wall is so thick, when the vet listens to their lungs, they need to put a rebreathing bag on, which is basically mm -hmm. us telling, um, or, or our, our RMDs telling us to take a deep breath. So the rebreathing bag, which is generally a big garbage bag, um, you know, causes the horse to breathe very deeply over time, and it's just the best way to listen to those lungs. And so you can pick up things um, with that that you would never be able to pick up without it. So if your horse is coughing, a rebreathing examination by a good veterinarian, definitely worth your, your uh, money. So I sigh because this is something I guess I need to talk to my vet about. We're, so it shows what a puzzle these mature athletes are because I'm always thinking about the soundness and the lameness and the feet and the um, and his body condition and his back and um, 
we've never really talked about the whole horse, my friend. My That's friend. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the whole so, horse. So I guess they arrive well. I guess I better remind remember to uh, mention that at our next appointment. So, um, Dr. Jones, our next question is from you, and it's from uh, Kina in Canada, and she wants to know. Uh, ways to help manage swelling in an older horse's legs. She has one that happens to stock up after jumping. Uh, what suggestions do you have for that? Well, I would guess, being from Canada, that they have the horse put up in the stall after she's done, and back to what Dr. Ashmere was saying, turn the horse out would be my number one, uh, because I see less swelling in aged horse's legs when they're turned out. Um, I'm concerned that she probably is in an icy slope area that might take a risk of skidding out or whatever in the pasture, and so that's the reason they're not turned out. Um, but I, I believe that turnout really helps these horses quite a bit because they will continue to move around. If you have to stall the horse, you're at a show, you're um, in a, a facility that doesn't have great turnout for um, your aged horse, you'll probably have to start doing some evening or uh, stall time bandages to help manipulate the fluid out of the legs. It's just the same as compression hose in humans that they use for, people use for flying or they use for everyday work to help move the uh, fluids from you know, their ankles up the leg. And uh, the same idea we're going to need to do with the horses is apply some firm bandaging techniques to the lower limbs, all four, to help keep the swelling out of the legs. You know, I think too, um, icing the horse after exercise, uh, I think I've had a lot of good success with that. And really, anytime you really uh, put a horse through a lot of work, uh, particularly these older guys, um, some ice or at least cold water hosing massage can help these. Um, basically, or an ice you, massage even too, the ice yeah, massage. Yeah, ice massage for sure. In a, yeah, in a cup ice and water. just raise water in there, yeah, and then you just peel yeah. it from the bottom and just use, you know, as a, like a little um, roll-on and you just ice massage up the leg until it melts out of the cup and you're you're all good. Right, so in, even you know if you if you've got the means to do it, some of the ice booths are, tend to be really good where ice and water circulates in oh. the cold. I mean that's certainly um, very worthwhile having for some of the barns that actually have some athletes that work very hard. Um, and the, you know absolutely the bandaging. I will say this too, uh, and I definitely live in areas where there's plenty of ice. Um, you know the snow pads help quite a bit. Borium on the shoe helps, so you can actually still turn these guys out safely to some extent anyway, um, depending on just how slick it is out there, but you know, then preparing the, the area um, before it gets snowy so that you don't have the water running into it to make, you know, total ski slope sort of ice. But you can actually turn, you know, horses out in the winter a, a lot of the time, even horses that are, are very, very valuable, so that um, they actually get the exercise that they, you know, nature intended them to have. And that's going to help. And we have a question that's um, related. It's uh, from Marissa in New York, and she said that she um, volunteers at pony club rallies a lot, and lots of times she sees older ponies and horses at rallies who are really stiff because they aren't used to being stabled all the time. And so they, they go to the rally, and they're they're stuck in the yeah. stall, and then they get stiff, and, and they're sore, and then they get stocked up. What what recommendations do you have, Dr. Rashmere, for uh, those ponies that are older that aren't used to being in the stall at the show? It's tough. I mean, no, no doubt about it, it is tough. Look, hand walking, if they can, you know, <laughs> um, yep. anything to keep those guys moving, very helpful. Uh, you know, and depending on the rules of, of what, wherever they're going, a little bit of non-steroidals can help. Um, you know, most of those things 24 hours ahead, but you can depends on, on what type of older horse sort of show they're they're 
they're doing or campaigns they're on, um, a little bit of butte certainly might take away some of that stiffness or help take it away. The other thing that we haven't really hit on, which I think I, uh, well, I really do like quite a bit, would be um, the dy dynamic exercises for horses, you know, the stretching of the back. Um, I think um, probably my favorite would be the, the um, Hillary Clayton and Narelle Stubbs, uh, Narelle Stubbs um, being the main author of that, uh, where it actually goes through the carrot stretches. It's dynamic mobilization of the core. And anytime you get those guys stretching, even if they are stuck in their stall while they do it or in the cross, I won't be in the cross size, but in the aisle way, um, look, that's still you know mobilizing tissue and in, in, in getting the horse's core so that the, um, the core maintains the horse so that the the action of the limbs become secondary so that you can actually support the horse with the core and you know take less of burden um, on the horse's limbs. I also think that um, you know I'd like some of the other things that have come up with rehab like the bands. Um, I think that that can actually help a very short period of time in the bands that gets really some muscles moving that wouldn't uh, normally um, something that they might not be using at the rally, but it would keep them at least, um, you could do that for just a few minutes and then, you know, when the horse went to a class or something like that, um, it wouldn't be tired out from it, but it actually have a pretty good stretch in those. Um, you know, I think, I think some of those things probably are very worthwhile in the guys that suddenly have to go in a stall. I agree with that, and I believe the pony rallies I've worked, um, most of the horses are actually uh, quite a bit, um, I wouldn't say quite a bit lame, but they're, they're significantly short-strided because they are older horses that are safe right. for the kids to learn. Right. And um, that's their point of them is they aren't going to take off at a, at a lightning speed because they don't have a lot of get up and go because they are a little bit creaky. And most of these <laughs> kids I've seen, and I believe it's kind of a pony club rally um, requirement, are out there hand-walking the horses. I, I see them hand-walking all the time. So I, I don't it's know a if big it's plus. a requirement or not, but it's, I see it a lot. I think it's a big plus. You know, I'd love having um, young riders like that realize that they're helping their horse by getting them out and exercising them. You know, that's just a really good mindset, I think, um, for them to have. So, and they're exercising themselves too, right? So, it, I think yeah. it's a win-win. So we have a question from our live audience um, from Carol, and she wants to know if naproxen can help uh, senior horses with aches and pains. And that's along the same lines of a question from Kathy in New York, who wants to know if you have any thoughts on long-term use of firococcib for the comfort of an older horse uh, that's in daily work. Um, Dr. Jones, do you want to take that, and then Dr. Reshmer? Yeah, um, I'd be happy to. I think any of the what we call non-steroidal anti-inflammatories do help, um, but they do help while they're in the system, and that's pretty much about it. So it's the same for uh, you and I. When we get something um, painful, stiff, whatever it is, and we take um, a little Advil or we take our little Tylenol to kind of help us get through, it's going to work during that time, but it also gives you a little bit of a, um, a reboot. And so if you continually have problems in that joint or that muscle that's sore because you've pull the hamstring or you tweak the knee or the ankle, um, you're going to continue to have problems within those areas affected if you don't address them with some sort of rehab. So giving them those non-steroidal anti-inflammatories help on a short-term basis. They should not live on them because of the side effects that you'll find. And, you know, everybody knows about the abuse side effects of gastric ulcers and as well as the banamine. And everybody now has been going to the fire cocks to try to avoid those. But the whole point is they shouldn't be living on those um, medications in my mind because there should be some other addresses of what, where the pain is stemming from and getting to the sources of the problem. Um, 
and uh, you know, I can speak that from experience because I'll be living on uh, quite a bit of Advil for days on end if I don't get to the gym. And if I get to the gym, I can start stretching and working out some of the kinks that I've got. Well, this will actually be the first time that Dr. Denny and I disagree. So there you go. Um, I, <laughs> it had to happen eventually. There you go. Um, so this would be an area where, look, uh, it, it's not for every horse. And certainly some horses tolerate the non turtles better than other horses. But, um, and I, you know, I think of the lesson horses that, look, those guys are just campaigners and, you know, top many, many young riders, really good for equine veterinary, that group along, right? Um, and they're worth their weight in gold, but boy, I'd rather have them on daily or coxive or even butte, um, as long as they tolerate, as long as they're eating, you know, they're they're not showing signs of gastric pain or anything like that. Um, and you know, periodic checks you need to make sure um, that that everything's going well, liveries and, and, and different things, depending on the nostril. Um, I do have a fair number of horses and and have now for I would say many years. Um, but then I, I'm of the age when it was nothing to give a horse four grams of butadiene a day for you know several weeks in a row. So it's probably a little bit different, um, you know, my perception of these drugs than others, which is not surprising. But um, so I, I do actually have horses that I keep on long-term on steroids. There is a kind of an additive effect over time, um, you know. So if you keep them anti-inflammatory um, for a while, there is a little bit of a carryover. But for the most part, it's true. I mean, once it's off, the horse is going to go back to how it was um, at some level. And um, but the um, you know, the comfort level the horse would enjoy, I just weigh it, you know, against some of the, you know, the side effects that occur. I'd much rather have a horse get a little bit of non-steroidal and keep going than a horse that no longer can be used, you know, in that fashion, but be a lesson horse or higher level horse. Um, so, you know, I'd, I'd prefer to actually keep them on probably more drugs as, as far as it goes, as, as far as, um, you know, drug testing would allow. And um, just keep the horse going because I think longevity-wise, it's better for the horse. And you know, there are plenty of horses that once they quit being able to be used, they're not going to have a life anymore. And so, in some ways, um, you know, I think I'm going to keep them as comfortable as long as I can until um, they can't be kept comfortable anymore. And so, uh, like I said, I have a, maybe a little bit different. But then, of course, <laughs> I'm quite a bit older than Dr. Denny, and I probably need more Advil. There you go, Dr. Denny. Maybe I have a different view <laughs> from that way. <laughs> well, I also, I also throw in the two cents of I throw in um, acupuncture and chiropractic on some of these horses too, which I, you know, acupuncture is not it's not a one-time shot. So it's it's kind of like doing your Advil every day or every other day or you know twice a week or whatever to kind of keep yourself um, going. The acupuncture is going to be the same way. You're going to have to continue with the acupuncture to kind of help the pain relief. And um, so if people are able to do that rather than doing the um, anti-inflammatory, that's a better choice, I feel. Right. Look, I, I would use all that absolutely, and, and that's kind of the point I think as well. So we use like the supplements in order so we in order that we would have to use less mute or less Um So you know the 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 Adequan and the Cosquin and the um, oh the um, flaxine, all that sort of stuff. So that we have to use less drugs that are potentially problematic for the horse. But at some point or another horses age into enough osteoarthritis and we know that older horses can have osteoarthritis in multiple joints and so I think you know some of them will be uh, a lot more comfortable on some of the systemic non -steroidals. The other thing we haven't touched on we probably should would be the use of bisphosphonates in older horses. Um, yeah. I have used a, a, um, I'd say a huge amount of bisphosphonate over the years. Uh, first children when I we, when we would import that from France, and now that both children and osphos are available in this country, I, I've actually gone to using more osphos. Um, 
but look, you know, older horses do have osteoarthritis. The number one cause of lameness in older horses, and so, uh, and usually it's not just one joint, right? That's the traumatic sort of a thing, maybe. But long-term wear and tear. We know that vertebra, um, you know, the cervical vertebra, the, the basically the entire spine can have it, um, and so some of those drugs can keep these guys going um, without potential side effects that you would have for like long-term uh, phenobutazone or or one of the other non-steroidals. I will actually um, mention though that one of the side effects of those drugs is after being administered they can cause some colic in horses. Um, and one of the other problems that they can cause is renal failure. And when you put the two together, um, the potential to have renal failure from the drug and the horse getting a little bellyache from the drug, um, one of the things we know that we shouldn't do, and it's basically labeled this way as well, and just got to keep in mind, if you do give that to your horse and they do get a little bit of a bellyache, uh, they should not get non sortals at the same time because you're more likely to cause problems with the horse's kidneys, renal failure. And so um, most of the horses, quite honestly, I've, I've yet, knock on wood, my next horse isn't the one, I've never had a horse yet to get them that couldn't just be controlled with just a hand walking. Um, but if that weren't uh, able to control the horse's pain, then I would move on to um, buscapan, which was antispasmodic, which won't cause renal failure. So, look, they have their side effects too, but they last quite a period of time, usually, you know, six months or more. You might decrease the amount of um, non you have to give those horses, and if you use them wisely, you won't have problems. I agree, and um, you're right. That's one thing we have not touched on, and the bisphosphonates is one that I have definitely been using a lot more of lately, children and osphos, especially in the older horse. They definitely keep these old campaigners a lot more comfortable, and um, all of them get checked for um, their kidney values prior to administering it, um, only because I'm uh, you know, just uh, paranoid about giving it to one that's already having some renal issues, and then you slap that on top of it, and you just uh, ruin that horse and that horse's life. So I, I just feel that that's something that should be um, addressed. So those right. are getting ospots on a regular basis, they should probably be getting some regular regular blood work on a regular basis too. Right, and you know, it's funny because I'm not so sure that, that they know what the longevity in the bone is for ospots, at least I don't think I've seen it published. And you know, it's no, going to be exactly. something like six or nine months. And so and look, I've given it to horses more than that, but I'm sure that um, some number of those horses probably don't even need it that often. And so again, you know, um, we use the drug when we need it and we try not to overachieve with our administration of drugs because eventually, you know, the side effects will be more of the problem than the drug itself or than what's causing the horse to need the drug itself. So, yeah. And I think that brings us to our last question of the evening because we are almost out of time, but I think it's a, a nice uh, way to end. Um, and it actually is from Shauna, our brand manager, uh, who is in Kentucky. And uh, she is asking this question for Chunder, the horse that everyone can see jumping um, on their computer screen if they've uh, accessed this uh, online. She said that her biggest question is about conditioning work we have to do to get ready for horse trails. How can I structure our rides to get more done with less pounding on his legs and to better care for his body? after longer conditioning rides. Um, Dr. Jones, do you want to start on that? And then Dr. Rashmir? Yeah, and I'm sure Dr. Rashmir is going to have some really great um, discussions on um, conditioning and getting ready. I'm going to probably focus more on um, what you need to do on the downside of that, meaning um, as, you're, as you're finishing up your work for the night and kind of putting him asleep, you know, put him into bed type thing. I think the rehab um, idea, so, uh, and I don't mean rehab as he's coming back from injury. I say a geriatric horse is going to need some stretching. A geriatric horse is going to need some um, 
slower work into and slower work out of their what they're doing. And I know everybody's tight on time, everybody's busy, everybody's working, they've got multiple um, objectives they're doing through the day, they've committed themselves, you know, three and four different ways, but you really need to take more time with the geriatrics of getting them ready to ride and taking them off of the ride so that you don't um, strain or cause some problems with them because they don't stretch as well as the younger horse does. Um, the stretches, the carrot stretches that Dr. Rashmir uh, had discussed are fantastic and I do think that that's very, very necessary. We also like to go through with the clients, and I say we as in the physical therapist I have on staff with my practice, um, with uh, teaching the back hind leg stretches and uh, that seems to be paramount for some people because the horse is engaging a lot in the rear end in a lot of these sports and needs to have those hind end stretches that a lot of people don't think about doing forward going backwards as if you're in a farrier position but even more stretch and coming crosswise underneath the horse and then there's the core again that was discussed that helps you with your top line so doing um, rubs on the ventral aspect of the abdomen to help to get them to tuck up they're doing basically stomach crunches when they do that or you can do as we're taught in chiropractic on uh, the 10 o'clock 2 o'clock position at the top of the tail head as you dig into the top of the tail head the horse will tuck its rear end underneath and pull up its abdomen and that's like doing stomach crunches um, be very careful, of course, standing behind your horse. Make sure you know your horse when you're doing something to affect if you kind of shock them by doing that. Um, but those type of things, I think, are very pertinent in an aged horse. So it takes a little bit longer in the prep to and the coming out of on your getting your horse in condition. But I think those stretching and core muscle things are very pertinent for the horse. And Dr. Rashford? Yeah, I think when we're talking about conditioning too, um, you know, sometimes we forget about some simple things like gymnastics training. You know, two more times a week, we know that that will just over, you know, cavalettis basically. Um, we know that the good evidence here in the last year or so that that actually will help um, improve core strength training. Uh, the other thing too, I one thing I would just encourage people to not do, and that is, it doesn't matter what the sport is your horse does, try not to do just that as far as conditioning goes. So if your horse is a jumper, please don't put it over, you know, 16 fences all week long before the uh, show. Please, you know, change things. It doesn't matter, dressage, like I know that we want to practice our tests, but by the same token, um, that's a horse that could benefit a lot if you're trying to really get conditioning by doing something else. Whether that something else is going for a very long walk, um, you know, just trot sets, a little bit of, um, you know, some of the, some of the shorter conditioning events, not not typically interval training, but even sure than that. So going at maybe a, a much faster trot for a very short period of time, basically one or two laps of the, uh, um, or actually probably one, one lap of the standard size arena, like the sauce arena, and then you know, a slower, and then you know changing like an, another faster, another slower, just so that the horse actually gets both cardiovascular and muscular conditioning that way. We know that the one, one almost sure way to get a bow 10 is doing the exact same thing hard every day the same way. Right, because you're putting that same stress, so you don't allow for recovery. So just changing things up. You know, if you've got a horse that um, um, would be um, standard, at least like running barrels, certainly it's best not to run barrels every day. Do something with the horse, even pony it. Look, I, I actually have had horses that were um, better off being ponied. A lot of those are barrel horses, but sometimes there are other horses that are aged. Um, and if you can pony the horse, just to do something different, get the weight off the back. Some horses actually really like being ponied and and um, it's again just another thing to do with no stress to the horse and just get it out and give it some exercise. Um, so for me, what I would normally do is I sort of tailor a sort of a conditioning program um, for horses depending on what their event is and, and how 
old they are and how well they tolerate things, and we just build up over time. But I think that um, all those things Dr. Denny mentioned are absolutely true. Um, but again, trying to get some variety in the horse as you're trying to condition it probably is the safest for the horse and probably the most interesting to the horse as well. I think the horse will thank you when you do that too, because it'll take them. It'll be a mind break for them. And I think they'll thank you profusely. Yep. Well, unfortunately, uh, that's all the time we have for tonight. I want to thank both Dr. Rashmer and Dr. Joy Jones for joining us. Um, it was a great conversation. Thank, thank you both. Um, well, you're very welcome. It was very fun. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. I also want to thank our sponsor, Costaquin, and finally, thank you to everyone who submitted questions during registration and also during our live event. Um, until next time, from all of us at The Horse, have a great night. <laughs>